Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined, as always, from the Columbia Bureau by Dave Matter. And we're here to break down another week in Missouri athletics, good and bad. We're, we're, we're trying to make sense of this football season still, Dave. Uh, Missouri loses uh, another game, this time to Florida. No shame in a loss to Florida, a ranked team that is playing very well. But uh, lots of lots of questions about the offense, lots of questions about the penalties, lots of questions still this week about Barry Odom and, and, and the, st- the decision that Jim Sterk will have to make after the season ends. You and I were both there in Columbia on Saturday. We'll both be back there for the game against Tennessee this Saturday. Um, let's start there. You were at the press conference with Odom this week where he was asked about you know his feelings about his job security. That's what everybody's talking about. I know he doesn't like it, but that's what it is. What was his response, and what did you make of how he handled that question? You know, he essentially stood behind his body of work for four years, uh, the structure that's in place, and then he touched on some history, and he pointed out that he has more wins, uh, a better record through four games, through four years, I should say, than each of the last four head coaches at Missouri before him. Now, that's not exactly the greatest standard. I mean, you're talking about – Woody Woodenhofer, who was an absolute nightmare at Missouri. Bob Stahl, who, a, a very good man who still lives here in Columbia and goes to practice a lot, but his tenure was not very good. Uh, and, and then the the coach that recruited Barry Odom and Larry Smith, who got things rolling in year four and then year five. And then the guy who hired Barry Odom uh, to be a, a work on his staff and promoted him several times on the staff. And Gary Pinkle, who you know, got things rolling in – in year three, had a setback in year four, and then after that was bowl game, bowl game, bowl game, you know, division championships. So he's trying to put this in a historical light. I don't think Missouri's history is really the barometer, though. I don't know if that's the standard that Jim Sterk views this program through. But it, it does say something. I, I think his point without without elaborating is, hey, you know, this team is still in position to have a winning year. Um, it's a setback. It's not a. It's not a season anybody's celebrating, but this is not a program that has the same standards as an Alabama or a Florida or a Georgia, where you know one off year, um, you know, brings out the wrecking ball. So I, I get that. I agree with that. I don't know if we really need to go and um, you know point to the Woodenhofer and Stoll years as uh, as shining examples of what Missouri should be compared to in 2019. Yeah, I, I get, I guess, the attempt, but I think the delivery might not land with, with a lot of fans. And part of the the reason it kind of makes you tilt your head a little bit is because there seems to be a bit of a fluctuating opinion when it comes to Barry Odom and Gary Pinkle and how Barry Odom compares and contrasts himself to Gary Pinkle and, and that era. Because at times, Barry Odom speaks very, you know, very supportively of Gary Pinkle and talks about all he learned from him and you know and kind of raves about you know his impact on him and then there are times like this where he really in some ways I don't even know if he realizes he's doing it at times kind of takes a a bit of a shot at Gary by, by saying look you guys you know really have to look at what the start of my career here as the start of you know rebuilding Missouri football and and I think Gary Pinkle would probably disagree with that and as a as a unbiased bystander you might say okay look there were clearly some things wrong with the Missouri football team when Barry Odom took over you don't make a change 
um, unless there is some sort of, of problem. Now, Gary Pinkle didn't get fired. He he resigned. He retired. Um, and, and he walked away. But he did not have the, the, most, the most control, the most solid grip on the wheel at that point. That said, you know, the, the car needed a tune-up. It didn't need a, a new engine. It didn't need a complete wheels-up wheels overhaul. Uh, I, I don't think anybody was, was believed that. Now, you factor in the, the protests and the fallout from it, that's real. And I think that did have an impact on recruiting. But in terms of the foundation of the football program as a, as a machine that produced bowl seasons, I don't know that it was as completely wrecked as as there have been times where where Barry Odom has tried to make it seem is it fair to compare the first you know four seasons of Barry Odom to the first four seasons of Gary Pinkle I don't think so and there's so many different factors at play here if you look just at the pure talent inherited I I think it's fair to say Barry inherited a better situation though if you look at it they've only had one player drafted each of the last two years Jamon Moore two years ago, who's now out of the NFL, and Drew Locke last year. I think the fact that he was a quarterback, he was a second-round pick, most would probably agree a first-round talent. Um, you know, that's when you, when you inherit a quarterback like that, that can override some other issues. But, you know, the, the program wasn't stocked with great NFL talent with all SEC players, but there was a foundation there, and much more than – and I, I was covering – you know, the transition from Larry Smith to Gary Pinkle, there's there's better players in the program than what he inherited now. Can you make the case they're in a tougher division? Um, yeah, I think so. I think that's fair to say. I mean, Nebraska was, was doing its thing back in 2001. They were still very good. Missouri hadn't beaten Colorado or Kansas State in a long time. They were playing either Oklahoma or Texas every year back then. And now you've got, uh, you know, Georgia is, is back to being a national power. Florida is right there on the cusp. So I, I think that's a wash there as far as what the situations you inherit. Definitely, I'd say the the, the support externally um, is the is the big issue that Barry inherited, and frankly, it's it's partially the reason he got the job over more qualified candidates because it just wasn't a very attractive job at the time. So yeah, I, I get your point. I agree. I think sometimes his, his take on what he stepped into and what he replaced kind of fluctuates you know, according to however it best suits his argument at the time. Um, but again, it's, it's just hard to compare eras and, and hard to compare, um, you know, my record against their record. I mean, the, the biggest, um, you know, issue I think fans took with it, Barry's comment the other day was the drastic difference in scheduling between, you know, the, uh, the, the late seventies, early eighties, even the early nineties compared to now for one, they only played, 11 games back then now they play 12 so you get an, you can schedule yourself an extra win and they weren't playing one double a fcs teams back then they were barely playing teams outside of the power five I mean, bob stall played number one miami uh each of his first two years as head coach uh, larry smith had a home and home against ohio state when they were number one and number seven uh, so the schedule has got decreasingly uh or in- increasingly easier in the non-conference so that always benefits the, the newer generation of coach. Uh, and, 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 you know, that's uh, you can't ignore that. And, and Barry's lost some of those games, too. He's lost to Wyoming. He's lost to Middle Tennessee. So I get his point. I, I really do. Um, but it kind of fell on it, – it, it didn't really resonate, I don't think, with the people he, he intended to hear that message. 
the only person that he really has to convince, as everybody's talking about this, is Jim Sterk, the Missouri Athletics director. Right. And I don't know that Jim Sterk's going to be going, well, you know, I'm going to factor in that stat about previous coaches. I think Jim Sterk is more, right. should be, hopefully, you know, for everybody's sake, Barry Odom's included, more concerned about what's happening today than uh, and what he, has happened since he's been on campus than, than what happened before he got there. He's talked a lot about wanting this to be a top 25 football team. He feels that's really important for the health of the athletics department. Missouri's gotten there twice in the past two seasons and then immediately given it away in a loss to an underdog in the next game, which he's not probably thrilled about that. We we talked to Jim Sterk this week. Uh, I spoke with him on a radio show and you know, look, he's being noncommittal. Um, he's not being gloom and doom. He's also not giving the, the so-called vote of confidence that Derek Mason has got at Vanderbilt. Or um, you know that that uh, even Will Muschamp has got at South Carolina. So I guess if you want to read into that, you can. Although know that you're reading into it with the knowledge that Jim Sterk has said all along that he doesn't make these decisions during a season, that he will not make any decision plus or minus until a full body of work is in the books. So I think he's very much interested in how do they play against Tennessee and how do they end the season against Arkansas. This is this is kind of gets to be about pride. They still at least to their knowledge, can have a bowl game if the if the appeal is overturned. They they don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon, which is getting to the point where it's borderline crazy. We'll touch on that more in a moment. But but I get the sense that Jim Sterk isn't just paying lip service when he says, I really do care about how the team plays the next two weeks, and, and, and you know I'm going to factor that into any decision I make, whether it's going out and hiring a football coach or bringing Barry Odom back and saying, hey, it was a disappointing year, but we believe in this guy. Yeah, because there's a huge gulf between five and seven and seven five. I mean, maybe not in the standings; it's just two games. But you know, if you go out and you hammer Tennessee, and then you go down to Little Rock and hammer Arkansas. Granted, to hammer anybody at this point, you're probably having to score defensive touchdowns. But let's just say that happens, and you finish seven and five with a chance to win eight games and match the the most you've ever won at Missouri. If if a bowl game works out, um, that's a big difference than getting getting trashed. At, at, against Tennessee and then losing to what might be the worst Power 5 team in the country, Arkansas. So, yeah, a lot can change here. Uh, there's a big difference between what can happen, you know, the worst and best case scenario still for this season. And that's why it wouldn't make sense for Jim Sterk to, you know, be committal at this point. Uh, because, you know, those two things, are you going to win back a ton of fans if the best case scenario unfolds? Probably not. But you can certainly lose a lot if the worst case happens. So that's how he has to look at this, and it 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 makes sense to do that. He's going to support he's going to support his coach until it reaches a point where he can't anymore. And um, you know that's what all smart ads do. They also don't they also don't go into this saying, well, if we lose to Tennessee, I have to make a coaching change. Well, what if six players get hurt and they lose in triple overtime on a fifty yard field goal? I mean. That's that's why you can't just pin this on the result of a game and put it all in the hands or on the foot of a college kid. You know, at some point you have to take the whole breadth of the program, the direction it's heading, and the financial stakes and consider all of that when you make a big decision like this. You mentioned the financial stakes, and I want to talk to you about that. We kind of teased this in last week's podcast. We were running out of time, and, and, I, and I didn't want to try to, you know, do a surface level discussion on it, but what is the financial state of Missouri? Because for every fan who wants to scream out, go hire, you know, insert brand name, proven coach here. Um, 
there are just as many people who, you know, quietly point to the financials of this and go, okay, look, let's be realistic here. Missouri would have to pay Barry Odom's buyout, which is not unreasonable for an SEC coach, but it's still not cheap. You have to pay off his staff. He's got a pretty high-paid staff, including Derek Dooley, who a lot of people are are frustrated with right now. You're not going to make a new coach take on current assistant coaches, so you have to buy out all those contracts. And then on top of that, you got to go go find a football coach. And if you're going to pay a guy three million, then you're going to get a guy who's unproven at this level. That's just how this works. You have to you know increase the money, kind of like what Missouri did with Conzo Martin. They paid more for a coach who is more proven. Um, they would it would have to take a similar approach with football and that money you can look around and see that it's going toward a renovated stadium you can look around and see that while there was a healthy crowd I thought for the Florida game it's not like exactly selling out over there at Faroe Field Jim Sterk has tapped a lot of heavy boosters for some projects that he already has going on Missouri's not a Florida state that can just have boosters throw money at a buyout and then throw money on a contract for a new coach financially What's realistic for Missouri if it if it decides to, okay, this has gotten to the point where we have to look ahead. And also financially, isn't it encouraging Jim Sterk, the situation, to hope that Barry Odom sticks this landing as much as possible and that he can roll into next season saying, hey, we're going to be better and they can find, you know, try to make some adjustments and not have to hire an entire new coaching staff. Shouldn't that be the way he's leaning just based off the financial merits alone? Absolutely. You know, Missouri, and, and I've written this ad nauseum, they've been, they've operated at a budget deficit each of the last two fiscal years, and they probably will again this coming year. And people hear that and they're like, how can that be? You know, we were supposed to make all this money in the SEC. Yeah, they're making more than they've ever made before. They're in the top 30 nationally for, for college programs in revenue. And a lot of that has to do, most of that has to do with the TV deals. Uh, that they have with um, you know ESPN and the SEC Network and CBS and all that, uh, but they're also spending far more than they've ever spent before, and, and the bulk of that is is coaching salaries, staff salaries, travel is is more expensive than ever before in the Big 12 because you're flying greater distances uh, to go to all these all these schools that you elected to join their league when you left the Big 12, knowing that hey South Carolina and Florida are a lot farther away than Ames, Iowa, and Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, so there's that involved. It's just it's more expensive to run an athletic department nowadays with uniforms and and facilities and all the overhead that that's involved. So yes, they're they are spending more than they're making um, the last two years and it'll be this year too. And the big reason for the for the deficit is season ticket sales in football and basketball. We we they did see an uptick season ticket sales for basketball in, in Conzo's first year, the the Porter effect, if you want to call it that. But those numbers went back down last year, and they'll be down again this year to some degree. The, the big one is football. We've seen attendance up this year. They're up 7% right now in home attendance, announced attendance from a year ago, which reverses the trend of the last four years. So that's good. Season ticket sales, though, weren't, weren't great. Um, they're, they're, do, they're doing a lot of individual uh, game day sales, which they're happy with, but still that's not the same as you know guaranteeing you know a, a seven-game uh, season ticket for fans where those are a little pricier you know they're they are going to have more revenue made off of the south end zone complex uh, because of those higher priced premium seating areas that people bought and, and those are sold out so that's a that's a positive for the um you know that revenue uh disparity with uh with their expenses but when then you look at at barry odom's salary specifically you know they bumped him up just over three million last year still near the bottom of the SEC, 
And like you said, his buyout is very affordable compared to other coaches in this league. Uh, you know, they would owe him his his base salary, which is just four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Just that times how many, and that's times how many years he has left on his deal. Yep, and he has five years left. That's yep. why I think some people forget that he's got he's through two thousand twenty four. So that's five times four four hundred fifty thousand. That's just over two million. And then there's also an annuity fund of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars that he gets paid every year that he is the head coach, and they would they would owe him that. So that's one hundred and fifty times four. All equals out, I think, to two point eight million. Now you can offset that with whatever next job he would get. Just we're playing hypotheticals here, obviously. But if he goes somewhere and he's a defensive coordinator or a head coach, um, you offset that that uh, the income that he makes. But then that's true for all you know, ten of his assistant coaches too, who that they are paid higher uh, in the in the breakdowns in the SEC than Odom is uh, as far as where they rank. Right. Uh, so that's that's a lot of money, especially for an athletic department that is not flowing with cash right now, and you have to take that into consideration. And like you said, when you go out and hire somebody else, if you do, you can't pay him Odom's salary unless you get somebody who nobody's ever heard of that is dying for this job. Uh, you know the 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 jump they made or that they, when they went from Pinkle to Odom, it was the rare time in college sports where you're going to pay the replacement less than the guy who's leaving. And right. that was because, you know, Gary had been a head coach for 25 years and built up equity and, and Barry had, didn't have any leverage. I mean, he was either going to be the Memphis head coach and make less or be the Missouri head coach. And, and they probably paid him over market uh, at the time. Cause he didn't, didn't have that leverage that you would expect someone else to have if there would be interest in this job, if there would be a vacancy. So all of those things are at the, on the desk of Jim Sterk when you have to make this decision. And uh, yeah, people just say, well, just find a booster. Well, they went out and found boosters to pay for the South end zone complex that cost $98 million. The boosters only paid for about half of that. The rest comes from university revenue bonds. So their boosters were kind of tapped out for that facility. There's not just another 50 million laying around to go hire Urban Meyer or Bob Stoops or whatever imaginary coach is out there for for some people that don't understand how this works. Well, I think the the question that Sturk has to wrestle with, and again, we just talked about why he's factoring in these big, these final two games as into this discussion. This is all things that had to be swirling around in his head. You know, you have to. Is there a hire that can be made that you are going to have to find the money to spend more that immediately? that immediately guarantees you money coming back in. Um, and that you're, then you're talking about a brand name, someone who generates excitement based off name alone and will sell tickets based off name alone. And, you know, will that coach come to Missouri? Um, fair question. I, I mean, there's a, right. there, will that coach be turned off potentially by the handling of Barry Odom? I mean, Barry Odom, yeah. if he, I just want to point this out because it's important to put this view this from different angles. It's a complicated situation, a lot more complicated than people are going to make it seem. Imagine if you're selling this as imagine if you're Barry Odom's agent, you're Sexton, and you're going to sell this to the next coach or place that could hire Barry Odom if, you know, hypothetically speaking, he gets let go this season. Do you understand how easy that pitch is going to be? He's going to say I've got a guy here, whether you're looking for a head coach or a defensive coordinator, who inherited a program that was described as toxic 
negatively recruited against, right. made national news for racial um, divide on campus that boiled over to become a, a topic that affected recruiting, that teams attacked them for, that no one else, part of the reason he was promoted was because no one else wanted that job, is, is what it will be said. Whether it's true or not, that's what will be said. He gets, you know, four years, he goes to a bowl game and two, potentially three, depending on how this season plays out, and he gets, and he gets ran off. He tried to do everything in his power. He bought tickets for fans to try to get them to come to games he you know he had a hard time getting the offensive coordinator that he wanted because everybody viewed him as being on the hot seat and you know they fired him with x amount of years left on his contract i mean this is the easiest very easy sell for for odom's camp if he has to go look for a new job and all those things are going to then going to be said about anybody who's considering taking this job if you have better options you might look at missouri as a place that doesn't have a lot going for it and also is a bit impatient so I just think it's not exactly the truth, but but I do think it's important to to view how that could be pitched to someone who could be considering this job. This is not a this is not a no brainer for Sturk as much as anybody thinks that it is, and no one's gonna grab the pom poms and throw a parade about this season. It's a disappointment, period. But it doesn't exactly mean that the the best move for Sturk is to say, hey, we got to make a change. Now, if he has a coach that he believes in if he has a coach that he feels like this is the guy I want to stake my legacy on, then then that may be a different story. That's what we don't know about Sterk. We don't know his kind of internal compass. He does a good job of hiding it. Of am I gonna be a guy who, you know, who who gives Barry Odom more time and hopes it works out? Or do I have at the top of my list a guy circled and bolded that I say this is the guy that when I came to Missouri I thought this is the guy that that's going to turn this thing around if we don't get it done with with the guy that we have. I mean, th- we're going to find that out, and I, and I think I think we'll learn a little bit more about how Sterk views things here, um, and then depending on how this this season ends. So, uh, that it's it's not as easy as folks like to make it seem. I guess is the is the bullet point there. You're right, and you and you left out those a million great points. You left out one other thing. If they should hire somebody new. One more thing you're going to have to tell that guy. Oh, yeah, by the way, you, you're you on probation for two more years, and you've got these recruiting uh, sanctions, and you've got these scholarship reductions. And uh, the NCAA will be looking at you very close because if you screw up one time, you're in big trouble because of all this stuff that happened long before we even considered hiring you. So that is another thing you got this whoever the next person, if there is a next person, would have to inherit, you know, if, if – if this unfolds, you know, the worst case scenario here. And, you know, the, the problem with all these points we're making, all this logic that obviously Jim Sterk has to take, when fans hear it, they just hear, oh, well, then you you guys approve of the job Barry Odom's doing. No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, none, of, none of that means he's doing a good job. He's not. But this situation is complicated. It is not. This is not just, hey, Kim Anderson was a bad hire. Got to get rid of him. Go find somebody else. A million basketball coaches would take this job. This is a very, very different situation. And look at the SEC East right now. Georgia and Florida are top 10 teams. This is a harder job, I think, now than it was even when Barry Odom took it over. Tennessee all of a sudden has stuff figured out. Um, you know, when you're, you're not whoever would take this job next, whether it's next year, five years from now. Um, the SEC East looks like it's getting back to where it was before Missouri joined, when Florida, Georgia, Tennessee were all at the top of their game, or at least close to it. Yeah, Jim Sterk has to have conviction that 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 is the move to make, and and part of that conviction would have to be a guy, you know, a guy that he he views as this. This is not let's go hire a search firm and let's go out and interview. 
I think he would need to have have a guy that he feels like okay, this is the one, and and that would have to encourage him. But again, you know, we'll see we'll see what happens with the season plays out. But I think this was important because all these things are being talked about. Some of them not in very much detail, and you know that these are the things that Jim Sterk is keeping you know his eyes open when his head hits the pillow at night, and and he's yeah. not going to talk about it. Um, but but we know you know what the, the things that he's thinking about. Um, quickly here, and we were going to talk some hoops. I think we'll save that for next week because this has been really good. I didn't want to. I wanted to go long on this because I know it's 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 relative. Um, quickly with the NCAA. I'm not buying. I'm sorry. I'm just gonna call. I'm gonna call bogus here. We've heard from week to week to week that this thing did not affect these students. That it did not affect these players. Now I can believe it. It's ticked off Jim Sturck, and I can believe it's ticked off Barry Odom and his staff a hundred percent. But I'm starting to hear this idea now that well, the bull ban hanging over this team has hurt the Tigers, and it's really con- it's contributed to this four game losing streak. We didn't hear about it when they were winning five in a row. So why is this now coming up as something that has been hanging over this team? Now, is it crazy that it's taken this long? 100%. It's bogus. The NCAA should get called out for it. It makes no sense that it's lasted this long, especially when they were led to believe they'd have an answer in late September. That's true. But I don't think the players are going out before the Vanderbilt game going, man, we'd play better if we didn't have this bull ban hanging over our head. I'm not buying that. I'm not either. You know, Barry said this week, um, somebody asked him if it's weighing on the players, and this was on the SEC conference call on Wednesday, and he said probably more so, uh, on some more than others, which is an acknowledgement that, yeah, this is an issue. I, I don't buy it either because when you lose to Wyoming, um, you know, the way that season began, this team wasn't going to win a championship this year. They may have talked about being 12-0 and back in the spring and spring practices when the, when the sanctions first came out, but in 2019 – players aren't getting that excited about going to the Liberty Bowl or the Belk Bowl or the Music City Bowl. I mean, it's nice. It's fun. They get a watch. They get to go and spend some money at Best Buy or whatever they do. But nowadays, the best players aren't even playing in these games. So let's let's not pretend like, oh, God, they've been sitting around in their dorm rooms and, and looking at the bowl projections and just worried if they're going to get a chance to play in Memphis on New Year's Eve. I mean, that's that's not how this works. Now, if they were 12-1, and one, right. if they were sitting there with right. Oklahoma or Oregon's resume right now, yeah, they'd probably be upset. It'd be weighing on them because they got a chance to be in the playoffs. No, that's 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 been out the door for weeks. Um, I'm sure it's bothered Barry. I mean, he's got sure it has. and his coaches. Yeah, and, but they're adults. They get paid to they get paid a lot of money to deal with headaches. And uh, but I I don't buy it. It's on the players. I mean, the players are so aloof on how the bowls work and how all that stuff unfolds anyway. I I don't get it. No. Yeah, we need to attack that every time it comes up because that's 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 baloney revisionist history. Um, one more thing, Dave, and then we'll run. But this is good, and I don't want to do a football podcast without mentioning this because people are going, "What are you guys crazy?" But um, it, it just because the offense is doing nothing doesn't mean we shouldn't say something about it. Um, I kind of sensed you were right there with me, and you pointed it out too. I think we were both thinking along the same lines. In Barry Odom's post-game press conference after the Florida loss, he was asked about again about the offense. And it's always interesting when Barry talks about the offense because he's very much a defensive-minded coach. He's made it clear that he's comfortable handing the keys to the offense over to Derek Dooley or any offensive coordinator that he has. And he, he when he talks about his defense, he kind of talks about the we and the they. And when, he, and when he talks about the offense, he kind of talks about the they. I'm sorry. We for the defense, they for the for the offense and he just obviously he likes his offensive players i'm not i'm not saying that but right. he, he very much views this as he handles the de- he's the defensive guy and 
and the offense does its thing and he kind of stays out of its way unless it's a, a call that he needs to weigh in on. It seemed like when he was asked about the offense, he went out of his way to say, look, we've got the players, we've got the talent, which would imply that it's on the coaching. Um, that's kind of the first, maybe first seed of of friction that we've seen between Barry Odom and Derek Dooley. Is that, am I making too big of a deal of that? Is that is that how you have read it continually this week? Because there have been some other answers that kind of seem to suggest that, that they're not, I mean, obviously there's tension, they're losing, but that there is some, there's some questions Barry Odom has about why this offense has gone completely off the rails. No, I agree. And I, I thought that as we were walking out the stadium and then I went back and listened on, on Monday morning to everything that Barry said after the game. And I, I, I put this on, on the, on the site um, Monday afternoon, like bullet points with each comment that you can really dig in and interpret this as kind of building the case that, this is a offensive coaching issue here. And um, that it makes sense. If you're trying to save your job, you know, what's the natural thing to do? You, you try to not necessarily escape blame, but, but point to specific things that didn't work this year. And if you're the defensive-minded head coach, you can point to the offense. And, and I'm not saying he's throwing Derek Dooley under the bus. You know, you can put it uh, a, a different way and just say, hey, he's holding the guy accountable, maybe privately much more so than he is publicly. But I think he's kind of building a case. And I asked him again on Tuesday to kind of elaborate on one comment he made. He said, we have enough players on offense. Well, if you're not going to blame the players, and Barry never blames just the players, then where's the, where's the disconnect? And I asked, I said, is this a scheme problem? Is this a game plan, game plan problem? Or is there some kind of disconnect between your coach's game plan to what the players can execute on the field? And he, he kind of took the easy way out and said, um, all of the above. <laughs> but then he, he went on. And, and did say, um, kind of pointed to some, some issues there, and the, the exact phrase escapes me right now, but I didn't, I didn't walk away from his answer thinking, oh, okay, well, he absolved uh, you know, the, the coaching right there. He, he mentioned how when you're in a rut like this, you have to be problem solvers, and you have to solve the problem somehow, and that's, that's a process during the week and then during the game, and they're obviously not getting that done. I mean, we talked to talked to Derek Dooley on Wednesday also and he's kind of out of answers I mean he's he kind of comes up with these catchphrases each week uh, <laughs> to kind of ex- not excuse what went wrong but sort of explain it in this sort of whimsical way well this week he said we're walking through football hell you know that's what we're doing and, and wh- when you're walking through hell what do you do you, you got to keep going and that was about it he really didn't have much else to say or any explanations I, I think he's sort of at a loss too and this maybe comes back to the fact this guy's never been a coordinator before. And last year when you have the right pieces, when you have an NFL quarterback, um, you know, you don't have his games like this. Well, now they're in a total rut, and they don't seem to have any buttons to push that can get them out of it. So, um, you know, if maybe Derek Dooley has some scapegoats in mind too. I mean, maybe he's going to – I don't think he'll throw his quarterback under the bus, but he probably could. I don't think things are going great there. He did mention – I didn't catch this, but he told – Mitchell Forty of Power Mizzou, who asked him about why they didn't run the ball very much against Florida, and he said, "I scripted fifty the first fifty plays of this game. Twenty three were runs, but on most of those, they were RPOs, and the quarterback decided to throw the ball instead." And I thought that was kind of an indictment against Kelly Bryant for his decision making, which I think is something we can say is 
kind of been a common cause from week to week without knowing what every play is and what all the calls are. Um, he didn't just from interpreting what what he shared with uh, Mitchell. That, that that's not a very uh, that's kind of a red flag to me. Yeah, deciding to throw the ball implies that the play was not read either properly or did yeah. not want to be played out properly. That's that's an interesting comment. Um, and I'll push back a little bit if we're if we're looking ahead for signs of scapegoating. I'll I'll defend Kelly Bryant to some degree because now he has he played well. No, has he been as good as they hoped? Absolutely not. Has, is he the reason this offense has has driven off a cliff? That's that's a little unfair. Kelly Bryant's not the one that has you know has dissolved along the offensive line and with players right. eroding Absolutely. confidence. He's not a he's not one of the SEC. He's not one of the receivers who've not caught a pass. I believe in a touchdown pass. I believe in an SEC game. Um, he's not Albert O in his senseless penalties. He's not Larry Roundtree in his rapidly declining, um, you know, rushes per, per yards per carry. I mean, there's a lot to blame to go around on that offense. So depending on Kelly Bryant, if the Tigers try to go that direction, it would be, should be called out and that would be unfair. Now, also I'll point out too, there's a head coach who hires the offensive coordinator who didn't call plays before. And, and right. you know, signed off on the recruitment of, of Kelly Bryant. A lot of teams wanted Kelly Bryant. So, you know, I, I understand to some degree that the kind of as every everybody kind of moves into their corner on this season, but it all points up to the guy running the program, which is another thing, of course, Sterk has to has to weigh in. So it's not, not sunshine and rainbows here, Dave, um, as we look forward to the final <laughs> home game hell. of the season. But, hey, if Missouri's in football hell, we'll keep podcasting through it. Um, day by day, week by week, and we encourage you to follow along at stltoday.com slash podcast. Even easier, go to Google Play Music, iTunes, whatever you use for your podcast needs. Search Eye on the Tigers podcast. Do us a favor, subscribe, leave us a review, and hopefully it will be better than your review of the Tigers offense at this point in the season. For Dave, I'm Ben. We will have coverage from Columbia on Saturday against Tennessee. Please follow along, and, and we'll see you next week.